So welcome to Europa Watch number three, <laughs> the mini-series about Europa, a spontaneous Europa episode every time there's a mention of the Europa mission in Star Trek Picard season two. And there was more than a mention of the Europa mission this week. We got a lot of details about what this mission is about, um, who the pilot, I suppose, of the mission is, and I'm actually on location. I'm not in my closet in DC. I'm in Pasadena, sitting on uh, the campus of Caltech, across from my really good friend and somebody that I always enjoy having on the podcast, JPL scientist, James T. Keen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I'm always happy to be on and talk Star Trek and science. Yeah. So uh, I guess maybe just real general impressions of the season so far, James. Are you liking it? And how surprised are you that the Europa mission turned out to be such a big part of Star Trek Picard Season 2? In short, I am loving Star Trek Picard Season 2. Um, I think the story is really interesting, and it's stayed engaging every episode which is a little different than the season one. I thought season one was a little rocky, but that's kind of par for the course for a Star Trek series. As for Europa, I knew from the trailers that Europa would appear a little bit, but I didn't realize it would be so integral to the plot. And so I'm very pleasantly surprised to see Europa factoring in so strongly and just the exploration of the solar system being so important for Picard season two. Yeah, totally. I, I definitely didn't see this coming. I was super excited at just the glimpse of the patch that Q was wearing in the trailer, um, which is why I thought it was a good idea to do this Europa Watch series, mini-series. Um, but now that the Europa mission is becoming such a big part of the plot, I'm a little worried that I'm going to run out of things to say about Europa. <laughs> it seems like it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, actually, I think, James, you kind of called it on Twitter when you said that Picard's speech in the very first episode of the season about his ancestor Rene Picard being an instrumental, uh, playing an instrumental role in the exploration of the solar system, you really latched onto that and I think you kind of may have predicted this turn of events a little bit more than I did. I, it certainly was a little suspicious. I got the name slightly wrong. I thought it, it was going to be Rene, as in spelled R-E-N-E, like his nephew, and instead we get Rene, a French woman test pilot and it's it's exciting to see it actually realize and becoming a, an important part of the plot yeah i'm so it's like amazing to me that we would actually see potentially the europa mission i mean we've already seen i guess the simulator of it and so there's no reason now that we won't actually just see the whole thing yeah well and the simulator this is now verging away from my star trek nerdiness into my space exploration nerdiness was a mock-up of the space shuttle flight deck. Um, Whoa! So I guess that they found some space shuttle mock-up to use for that set, and maybe that's what the spacecraft looks like. <laughs> um, I, I'm very curious how much of this ship and mission and we're going to see. Are, are we actually going to go to Europa and the Jupiter system? And what are they going to find? I would love to see Europa in Star Trek. Have we ever seen Europa in Star Trek? I don't think so. Okay, I'm trying to think through this. I'm going to guess that in the motion picture, Enterprise does a flyby of the Jupiter system and there's a bunch of moons. One of them is probably Europa. But I don't <laughs> think we ever got like a nice close-up view of Europa. I know we do have Io from Into Darkness. Right. 
because that's where they're hiding the, the evil vengeance spaceship. <laughs> but um, yeah, this might be the first Europa encounter if we actually go there in this season. That would be super exciting to see. So James, you are a scientist at JPL. You are a planetary geophysicist. From the perspective of a planetary geophysicist, is Europa an interesting place to study? Yes, very much so. We've known it's been really interesting since the first robotic exploration of the solar system with the Voyager missions. Europa has a very young surface. It's covered in tectonics, things that we think might be cryovolcanic features. So we know it's been active in the geologic past and maybe even active today. There's some evidence for active cryovolcanism, active plumes, so eruptions of water. So all this activity on Europa, it really strongly hints at activity also going on underneath the surface. And from subsequent spacecraft that have flown by Europa, like Galileo, we are pretty confident that there's a liquid subsurface ocean. And if you have liquid water and all the other necessary ingredients, it makes it a potential habitat for life. And so that's why Europa is really important. And right now, NASA is actually building the next mission to go to Europa. It's not a crewed mission like as we see in Star Trek Picard. Um, it's a robotic mission called Europa Clipper, that, which is being built currently a few miles from where we're sitting. Yeah. And that will be launching in the next couple of years to go and explore Europa up close for the first time in a long time. I wanted to come to visit you at JPL, but unfortunately we weren't able to get uh, access for me, so um, it's really nice of you to be able to come meet me here at Caltech where it's an open campus, anybody can just walk here. <laughs> yes, uh, right now all the NASA labs are still in pandemic mode, so it's, it's a little tricky to get visitors on, on lab, but next time you're in Pasadena, Hopefully things will be better and we'll, we'll get you to see the spaceships. Yeah. Multiple of them. They're, they're, they're always building something new. Right. It's just, it's so exciting. You know, I, I can't imagine what it's like to work at JPL and, you know, be in the midst of all of that ongoing activity. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Um, so, like you said, the Europa Clipper mission that is currently being built at JPL, a couple miles away from here, is not a crewed mission. But if you could send a human like Rene Picard to Europa to do science, what would that human astronaut do? Oh gosh, well, I would hope that they wouldn't die. <laughs> um, and I say that because Europa is actually incredibly dangerous to explore. Um, it is bathed in extremely toxic radiation. Jupiter has one of the most, well, it is the strongest magnetic field in the solar system other than the sun. And it traps high energy particles in effectively in orbit around it. Those things get accelerated uh, by a bunch of crazy magnetic field phenomena. And it's like living in a nuclear reactor. Whoa. An unshielded astronaut on the surface of Europa would probably be dead from radiation poisoning in about an hour or two. So. My hope is that they have some magical, they're, they're covered in, I don't know, tantalum shielding or something, and they, they can survive on the surface. And once they're on the surface, then I would hope that they would do a lot of cool science. And actually, JPL and NASA has thought a lot about the science you'd want to do on the surface of Europa, because people have considered landing robotic spacecraft there. And so you'd probably want to do experiments like seeing what is the composition of the surface, what's in the ice, what potential 
biological signatures you could find in the ice. For me as a geophysicist, what I would really like to see is them doing some geophysical experiments, like deploying a seismometer, which is something that the Apollo astronauts did on the moon. And that those lunar experiments done back in the Apollo era are still being analyzed today and really are a treasure trove of insight into planetary science. So I would love to see them do some actual like geology on the surface, planting some experiments that might stick around even after they blast off and go back to their spacecraft um, and really trying to figure out what's going on inside of Europa. Putting seismometers on that uh, tectonically active body would probably teach us a lot more than just an orbiter would. Yeah, it's really hard to probe the deep structure of Europa from orbit or from flybys. So Europa Clipper, the, the NASA mission that will be going to Europa soon, it has a very ambitious set of remote sensing instruments. So those are things that are looking at Europa at different wavelengths of light. Um, it can also taste material being shot off of Europa or in Europa's environment, but it can't really <laughs> dive deep into Europa. It has a radar that might get us a few kilometers of information into the ice shell. But if you really want to know what's going on all through the ice shell, into the ocean potentially, and even the rocky body beneath, you'd probably want to have a seismometer, or at least that's the gold standard. It's just really hard to land a seismometer on Europa. So <laughs> if astronauts could do it for us, that'd be lovely. Yeah, go Rene Picard. <laughs> um, so although you don't work on the Europa Clipper mission, you are uh, a team member on NASA's Juno spacecraft, which is in orbit of Jupiter, and you were also a really big part of the IVO spacecraft um, concept study uh, that was designed to go to Europa's sister moon, Io. And um, so Io <laughs> was mentioned in a big way in this episode. Uh, very surprisingly, I know my eyes lit up when I heard somebody say that the major discovery that Rene Picard is supposed to make in the Jovian system is to find sentient life on Io. And I thought, what? <laughs> I thought she was going to Europa. Um, so my first question for you about this, uh, James, is is it likely or even plausible that a mission designed to go to one of the Galilean satellites would actually get to study another one in detail? Yeah, so that's a good question. The answer is yes and no. A lot of times when you're doing science looking at moons of a gas giant, you have to use some pretty clever orbital dynamics to get around the system. So Galileo, for example, which was a mission that orbited Jupiter in the 1990s and early 2000s, it orbited Jupiter and had flybys of all the moons, and it would use those flybys to get into better positions to look at the next moon and its next flyby. And so sometimes you use the moons to like navigate the system. So you might imagine maybe their spacecraft is going to have a flyby of Io in order to then rendezvous with Europa. That makes a lot of sense if you want to save fuel. The problem with Jupiter, though, is that radiation that I mentioned. And so it's really bad at Europa. It is even worse at Io. Because mm, yeah. all that high energy particles that are flying around the Jupiter system, they're actually coming from Io. Because Io is volcanically active. It's shooting about a ton of material per second into space. And all that stuff gets ionized and makes a toxic mess. So a lot of times missions, if they don't have to go by Io, they avoid it. 
So Galileo, for example, the spacecraft, they only had a few flybys of Io. And actually, the flybys were so dangerous that the spacecraft went into safe mode, half of the flybys. Where, for those of you who don't know, safe mode is when basically the spacecraft detects something has gone wrong. And it, it like goes into standby mode and waits to hear back from Earth before it does anything. Which means you don't get a lot of scientific data if it goes into safe mode. And so that was in part because of how risky an IO flyby was. The Juno spacecraft, so that's a mission I'm working on now, they will have a few close flybys of IO. And they will likely be fine because they fly by IO really, really, really fast. Basically, you get into the radiation environment and out as quickly as you can to help preserve your spacecraft. And that's sort of the standard approach for doing IO science. That's what the IVO mission would have done. We would have been in a Jupiter orbit and had close, fast flybys of IO. Like, hop in, get your science, get out as quick as you can. So maybe that's what the spaceship in Picard will do. It will have, I would guess, maybe it would have some fast flybys of IO, maybe to get science, maybe for the sake of changing its trajectory to get to Europa. If they're stopping off at IO, I would love it as an IO scientist, but I'd be kind of surprised. <laughs> well, you know, so many of the quote-unquote great discoveries in science were accidental, right? And so maybe it is that they're just swinging by IO to get a gravitational assist, and then Rene Picard notices something out the window and is like, oh, that's a living thing. I mean, that seeing it out the window might be a little bit hyperbolic, but it's not as hyperbolic as you might think, because IO is erupting tons of material per second into space which is kind of like Enceladus where people do very seriously consider flying through the erupted blooms of Enceladus to grab material the hope of finding evidence of life now Enceladus is like geysers of water not basaltic volcanism like it is on Io <laughs> so very different in some ways but maybe it, it's not crazy to think about flying through an IO plume and grabbing samples that somehow preserve some information of what's going on on the surface. Right. I want to get your take on life on IO. It's it's kind of an out there concept. I guess for for listeners who haven't been immersed in IO science, maybe you can just give a rundown of what IO is. I know you consider it an ocean world, but it is much different of an kind of an ocean world from Europa. IO is an ocean world if you're okay with your ocean being liquid hot magma. <laughs> um, Io is, so it's one of the four large moons of Jupiter. It's the closest to Jupiter. The next one out is Europa. But in the Jupiter system, as you go away from Jupiter, the moons get more and more icy, which probably translates to more and more hospitable for life in a way. Um, Europa, for example, it is actually mostly rock, but it has this nice ice shell and an ocean within the ice shell. The same is true on Ganymede and Callisto, which are larger moons. They, they all have a rocky component, but a lot of ice and water. All three of those moons, actually, there's evidence for liquid water oceans underneath their surfaces. Io, on the other hand, is all rock. It's about the size of our own moon. And in some ways, it's probably similar to our moon in terms of composition. It's rock it's probably got a metal core but the big difference the thing that's io part is it is the most volcanically active world in the solar system more volcanically active than the earth if you look at any picture of io it's this like pizza colored world that's yellow and orange 
and everything you see on the surface is either a volcano or it's something that's been affected by volcanism. The volcanism we see on Io is in large part volcanism like what happens on the Earth, like things in Kilauea and Hawaii, like what we would call basaltic volcanism. There's also sulfuric volcanism that happens on Io. So all the bright colors on Io, all the different shades of yellow, orange, there's even some greens and blues, are all different sulfur compounds, which at Io temperatures are solid, but can easily melt and erupt like a lava here on Earth. So Io is a rocky, mostly rocky metallic world covered in volcanism. And I do often claim that Io is an ocean world, much to the annoyance of people who study Europa and Enceladus, <laughs> because there is evidence that Io has a subsurface magma ocean, so a layer that is entirely melted rock, magma. And it's kind of at a basic level similar to an ocean world because you have this melted layer that's moving around and that melt can get to the surface and it does interesting things, but the composition is very different. And this combination of things this extreme volcanic activity, the, the composition of the body, usually means people think of Io as being the least hospitable solid body in the solar system. Unless you're a Horda, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the Horda would love it. So here's where it boggles my mind to hear that there is sentient life on Io. Because if there truly is sentient life on Io, then I don't know why we consider first contact with Vulcans, our first contact. And, and honestly, as an astrobiologist, for me, finding sentient life on Io is more astounding <laughs> than Vulcans visiting Earth with a spaceship, right? Because Vulcans are basically humans. I mean, they have copper-based blood, but that's like, and pointy ears, but that's basically the, diff the only difference. <laughs> they, they originated on an M-class planet, probably had a very similar kind of history to Earth, evolved water-based single-celled life that eventually evolved into multicellular life that eventually evolved into humanoid life with brains and consciousness and a technosphere that launched spacecraft to explore the cosmos. And that's sort of the trajectory that we're on. And, you know, it seems reasonable to expect that that would happen on other worlds. <laughs> but Io, that's like mind-blowing. And if that was really the first evidence of extraterrestrial life elsewhere, that would be, I think, an even bigger landmark moment in human history than meeting the Vulcans in 2063. So my, my guess going forward is that it was a claim that Rene Picard made, but didn't actually pan out. And that reminds me of a lot of, you know, claims of extraterrestrial life that we've had in, in real scientific literature. You can go yeah. to like that Mars meteorite that they thought they found bugs on. Think about phosphine on Venus from a few years ago. But somehow this is a very instrumental, like, moment in human history that determines whether or not we go into the wonderful utopian future or this dark timeline that I don't know if you just want to if you have thoughts on that or want to comment on, on I mean when they said sentient life on IO my jaw dropped <laughs> because that's just that's wacky to me to think about that and we don't really know if there is life on IO in Star Trek yet because yeah as Picard said that she claimed or like thought they found evidence. There was some language that leaves it out. I mean, if you found life on Io, Io is so drastically different than every other 
body in the solar system, at least right now. If you found life there, maybe it's an exceptionally exciting evidence that life can just evolve anywhere there's any possibility of it evolving, that it just grabs onto every niche. But it is so hard on Io. <laughs> um, and I realize now I talk so much about the extreme volcanism and heat of Io, which is certainly can be a problem for life on Earth. Heat can also be helpful for life. Like you need a heat source to power life, but you need all sorts of other ingredients for life too. One of which is water. And we don't think there's water on Io. So that's a pretty big problem. But if life could evolve on Io, that would be pretty transformative in our understanding of astrobiology. Yeah. It's not only life, it's, they said, sentient life. And maybe I would have been less jaw on the floor if it was just life, like they just found microbes on Io. But sentient life, I have no idea what they're going to go with that, unless it is Horta or... It's got to be something like, like that. that, right? You know, yeah. you, like you said, a magma ocean. So <laughs> my mind immediately goes to silicon-based life and and come to my Star Trek Chicago talk <laughs> to know why silicon-based <laughs> life is probably not very plausible, at least in Earth-like conditions. But I, I'll keep my mind open uh, for IO. Is this going to be our first scientific paper? Is uh, I can provide some IO science. You can provide the astrobiology and we... There we go. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're recording this on April Fool's Day, so oh this goodness. would have been a good April Fool's Day paper. <laughs> yeah. Because it is kind of so absurd, but I'm willing to go along with it. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. Thank you for donating your time and your expertise on the Jovian system, spacecraft, mission design, IO, Europa, etc. It's always really great to get to catch up with you, James. Likewise, and I hope you have fun at Star Trek Chicago. Thanks.